And we're looking at Romans chapter 6 this morning. And it seems to fit beautifully with that theme which so many of our brothers and sisters in faith in Messiah in the Western world anyway, in the East they do still celebrate on a calendar pretty close to our Jewish one, but in the Western world anyway are celebrating our Messiah's great work for us on this weekend. We read from Parshat Tzav a few minutes ago, and Joel led us through these verses that speak about the sanctification, the setting apart of the priests for the service of Hashem. And it was clearly a very serious thing for the people of Israel to set aside Aaron and his sons to the service of the Almighty God. And there was a long procedure to do with it. And there was no hint in all of it that Aaron and his sons were themselves perfect, that they themselves were paragons of virtue. We don't get any such picture from the Torah. But they were nevertheless set aside to an amazing, virtuous task. To lead Israel before the Almighty God. To stand between Israel and God. And to bring the sacrifices before him. And in Parshat Tzav, we see very interestingly that the priest and his sons were to eat for a period of time only unleavened bread. Unleavened, which reminds us, as we will be reminded, when Pesach does actually arrive in three weeks, speaks of of purity. And in the context of Messiah, Yeshua, speaks of his pure sacrifice for us. One that is holy, not infected with anything that might permeate it, a foreign substance. The Kohanim, the priests, were sanctified and set aside to God. It's a great backdrop to the message of Romans chapter 6 as Rav Shaul speaks to us about being set aside as believers to the service of Hashem. We might not be Kohanim in the same sense that Aaron and his sons were set aside to be Kohanim, priests. That might not be our specific role. Within Israel, even today, we remember who the Kohanim are among our people. We remember who the Levites are, the Leviim. We remember who all of Israel are, the three basic divisions of Israel even today. And we remember those things. And while we might not be Kohanim, and and many of us here, obviously, we are not all Jews even, nevertheless... We are called to be set aside in Romans chapter 6. We are called to be sanctified and set apart to the service of God. And just as it was a very high calling for Aaron and his sons, so it is a tremendously high calling for us 
to even become slaves, servants of God, set apart to do his will. And so we have in Romans chapter 6 a chapter where Rav Shaul speaks to us about life, life lived for God, life given by God, life, our lives given by us to service to God. We are both alive to God, and we will see that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And we are enslaved to God in a life-giving enslavery. Alive to God, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. It begins with a question, a question that Rav Shaul forcibly repudiates with the term chas v'chalila in the Hebrew, but in the Greek in words that are translated certainly not. Heaven forbid, certainly not. This is something that is a no, an absolute no. The question in Romans 6 verses 1 and following, or that begins this section, is what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Chas v'chalila, heaven forbid. The second part of the chapter where we see our enslavement, our blessed enslavement to God, beginning in verse 15 also, begins with this question. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law by, but under grace? Chas v'chalila. Certainly not. I did have the privilege of making a couple friends while in London in the last few years, one of whom just emailed me a couple days ago with a request. And his thought was, as a very orthodox, religious Jewish man, His thought was that Christians really believe that they can do anything that they want. And the same goes for Messianic Jews, as far as he was concerned. The idea that those who follow Yeshua can do anything that they want because we know that we're all forgiven anyway. And his perception, which I think is typical of many religious Jewish people in particular, is that really this is the way we think, that we can do whatever we like because grace will abound. But Rav Shaul will have none of that. Some of the Romans are obviously already coming to that conclusion and he wants to put an end to this kind of thinking right away. Don't even go there. You cannot live this way. Yes, grace may abound, but that is not the way we live. It would be completely inconsistent with with the fact that we have died to sin and we shall not live any longer in it. The first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6 speak about the Torah and sin or, or Transgression and grace. 
Secondly, they speak in verses 3 to 4 of newness of life. And then in verses 5 to 11 of life in Messiah to be followed with verses 12 to 14, life for God. The first two verses, speaking about the Torah, Rav Shaul says, Do you not, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Where is the thought of sin coming from? It's coming from the previous verse that he has written, the previous lines, where he says that the law entered that the offense might abound. Torah came so that our shortcomings, our sins, our misdeeds might be highlighted and there might be no dispute that we are not living for God. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And Rav Shaul says, because grace is going to abound where sin abounds, that does not give us an excuse to live any way that we want to live. And I know that we all agree on this, that we are not given license by Hashem just to do whatever we want. We are in a father-child relationship. Because we are children and always know that the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father will always be our Father. That doesn't mean that as a result we say, well, then I can do anything I want to displease my Father, to live for myself, to, do, to enjoy myself, to maybe even aggravate my Heavenly Father. Because we know He will always be our Father doesn't make us any more rightfully disobedient than a child who should be obedient to their parents, even though those parents will always love them, no matter what they do. Obedience is a natural part, in reality, of our love relationship with our Heavenly Father. There is the Torah that God has given us that tells us how we ought to live, just as a parent instructs their child. And we instruct our children not simply because we want to make a lot of rules to make their lives difficult. We instruct our children because we've seen the ways that the world can destroy a person's soul. We've seen the errors that can lead to future hurt in one's life, lifelong hurts that will harm our children. And we want to preserve our children from walking in a way that will damage them so that they might have a blessed life that they can then pass on to their children. We instruct our children just as God gave us and gives us his Torah. And the offense is not simply that we might offend um, and, and cause trouble and be breaking rules. The offense is actually to our own hurt. The grace is always there. A parent always loves their child. It's very rare to see a parent disowning their child. Shall we continue in sin? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We have died. That old person is gone with Adam. 
as we saw in chapter 5. And now we live to Messiah. We are dead to sin. And this is what Rav Shaul says in verses 3 to 4 as he talks about newness of life. Do you not know that as many of us as were immersed into Messiah Yeshua were immersed into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through immersion into death, that just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Rav Shaul's drawing this picture from the fact that he knows, which is common in the early, among the early believers, that he knows that they will have followed the commandment of Yeshua to be immersed in water as a sign of their belonging to him. This is the immersion of Yeshua, we are told in the book of Acts. This is what Yeshua himself commanded to all believers in Matthew 28 and verses 19 and 20, commanding the disciples, the Talmudim, to go forth immersing people of all nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh. And Rav Shaul knows that this has been the practice in Romans. Well, he knows that they will have been faithful and that they will have done this. And we are still hoping and planning that in, uh, in the months to come we will have an occasion where anyone in this congregation who wants to obey this commandment of Yeshua may do so and take that step of immersion in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We would do it right here. Uh, we have a, a, um, a tank right here in this building, concealed. Nevertheless, we have this opportunity to follow in that. And so if anyone wants to do that, please talk to me or one of the other elders, Ellie, my father, or Richard, and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. But do you not know that as many of us as were immersed into Messiah were immersed into his death? It's a very different type of immersion that Yeshua had instituted among our people in in times past, even up to today, there is ritual immersion for both men and women for the sake of purity at different times of life, during the month, during even the week. Some religious Jews will immerse themselves every week for Shabbat so they might be pure. There was that ritual immersion that said, I'm cleansing myself for the service of God and to be pure. But the immersion that Messiah gave us and commanded us is an identification with him on top of that. It says that I, I am committing myself to the service of God, to purity and service. But it is in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. It is an identification with him. Therefore, it is not quite a purity immersion anymore, but it is at its core an identification with Yeshua 
I identify with him. That's why it's so important that all of us should be immersed in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, to identify with him. I still remember at Kushina Chapel. I was 12 years old, and that's where I was immersed, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh. It's a memorable step in our walk with him. As many of us as we're immersed into him, we're immersed into his death. It's as if when we were immersed, we went under those waters. Somewhat like Messiah Yeshua went into deep waters himself as he gave his life for us. And as he suffered and as he went through those waters, as he was buried for us. He was like one who was drowned under the water. We were buried with him through immersion into death. But, therefore, just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And that's the beauty of this immersion. It's Not just the immersion that matters. What's really exciting is seeing that person come out of the water. The deed has been done. It is over. And now they are stating publicly, I have been immersed in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And I am committed to him. And I identify with him. We have been raised into newness of life, Rav Shaul says. And he reminds the Romans of this. Now, remember that day when you came out of those waters. For those who were not Jewish, it might have been the only time in their life that they had done so in this particular context. You have a new life. It is one that turns away from evil. And from sin. In verses 5 to 11, Rav Shaul speaks to us now of this new life that we have, this new life in Messiah. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Messiah sits there at the right hand of God Most High. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord. He rose. We shall live with him. Here we are on this weekend when people have been preparing their hearts in many parts of the world. And many people, even in our city here, 
been preparing their hearts to consider the death and resurrection of Messiah. And people are looking forward to Yom Rishon, the first day of the week. People are looking forward to that celebration, which is the time when no matter all the 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 sad thoughts they might have had about what Yeshua has gone through, now they are going to be able to sing hymns such as Up From the Grave He Arose, rejoice that He is alive, and identify with His life because He has lived. We also live. It is a tremendous picture, one that we will see when we come to Pesach and the Feast of First Fruits, when we remember Messiah, the one who is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. Because he has risen from the dead, we know that we also can rise and will rise. It's exciting. It's encouraging. It tells us that this life is not all that there is. When our bodies cease to function and they fail us, as they inevitably will do, our body may cease to function, but that's not our life. Our life goes on with God. Our life is eternal. And we move on. We move on. We cross that river. We are with Messiah. It's an exciting prospect in many respects. We shall live with him. Notice also what Rav Shaul says in verse 11. Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Messiah, Yeshua our Lord. There's a sense in which we know that we are dead to sin. But in this plane, in this life that we are living, we find that sin still occurs in our lives. And Rav Shaul says, now look at the facts. The real facts are, whatever may happen, we are alive to God and dead to sin. I was actually very disturbed in Oregon after at one one meeting some man came up to me and I didn't know quite how to deal with him. It was in a denomination where I wondered if maybe it was a denominational teaching. He said, I can't sin anymore, can I? Um, now that I'm, I'm a believer, I know that I, I can't sin. And I looked at him and I thought, well, he doesn't look like a particularly upstanding guy. He might, you know, who am I to cast stones? But it's hard to imagine that he doesn't sin anymore. And I didn't quite know how to answer. The pastor, fortunately, uh, rescued me in that situation. But uh, the fact is, we cannot say that I will never fail God again, that I will always do that which is right. Unfortunately, we will find ourselves slipping back. But there is nevertheless a reality that transcends the reality that we are living. It is the reality that God has declared us righteous. It is the reality that God looks at us, 
under this in, in terms of the sacrifice of his son who has redeemed us and cleansed us from sin and that we have risen with him and God has designated us and we should reckon ourselves to have been raised with him and to have eternal everlasting life. That is a wonderful thing. We are still sometimes falling back into those behaviors that we don't want to be in. But nevertheless, our God has said, you are mine. And I know that you are going to live for me. There is a prohibition in verse 12, presenting ourselves to God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. He's not talking about the, uh, the lusts that are normal to us. It is normal for us to have physical desires in our bodies that God placed there for good reason, so that we might live, so that we might procreate, so that we might sustain our bodies and take care of ourselves. Those things are good. But what Rav Shaul is saying is don't let those things turn into sin. Don't let them reign. Because now we have the prospect of allowing sin to reign over us. And Rav Shaul says that is not what you should allow to happen. We may fall back from time to time. But that is different than letting sin reign. Letting sin reign is... Uh, we can use fancy words to, to make it sound a little better. We can talk about addiction. We can talk about other things. But nevertheless, sin reigning is a chain that leads to death. Do not let it reign in your mortal body. That is not what we should be doing. But rather, verse 13 As he says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We have the opportunity. We, in in fact, have the privilege of presenting ourselves to God and saying, God, I want to live for you. I want your work to be done in my life. I want to serve you. I want to live your life. This is the life that is directed towards God. It is a life that is not dominated by sin, but a life that is dominated, in a sense, by grace. And there's a contrast that Rav Shaul is showing us. Sin dominates and rules over us in a way that controls us and removes from us the freedom to live any other way. That's what it is to allow sin to reign. And that's what addiction does, if you use the addiction terminology. It takes us and removes from us the freedom to live any way other than the way that sin dictates um, I just read on the way up, I stopped you know, at, at Starbucks and I looked and, and there in the newspaper there was someone talking about uh, 
his drug habits, and how at one point in his life, if he heard that someone had overdosed on heroin, he would go and search out that particular batch of heroin because he knew it was really pure and powerful, and he wanted the best high possible. He didn't care if he would die. That is a chain, that is addiction, because he couldn't do anything other than live for his sin. Grace is different. When we live for grace, we actually have that choice, step by step by step. Am I going to live for God? It is a choice that we have. It's not a chain. And God's grace is freely given to us. And grace is also the ability that God gives us to live for him. It is freely given to us so that we might live, so that we might enjoy the life that he wants to pour out into us. Grace is a gift. Sin has its wages. As Rav Shaul will say, the wages of sin is death. And you cannot escape those wages. But there is a gift that God gives us that is life. We are not under law, but under grace. Now we come to the second part of the chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Once again, as we mentioned before, what uh, Paul, Paul brings up a question and answers it. Chas v'chalila. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. It's as much a, as a introduction to the next things that he is going to say as a conclusion to what he has already said, rounding out his exhortation to the Romans, do not live for sin. Do not let sin reign over you. Certainly, there must have been those in Rome, and we see it elsewhere in the Brit Hadashah, where there were believers who thought that they could do anything that they wanted because God would pour out his grace upon them and their sins would be forgiven. Nothing is so far from the truth. We do not sin because we are not under law but under grace. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey you are that one, slaves whom you obey. Our Lord himself in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 told us that you cannot serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will stick by one and look down on the other. It's impossible to be divided. We may not be entirely con consistent in the way we live, but we have a commitment that we have made. We have chosen the way of life rather than, than the way of death. We have said, this is the way I will go. I will walk that narrow path. And that is our path. Even if we slip, even if somehow we stray, that is our path. The decision has been made, and we are heaven bound. That is our decision. We present ourselves 
to God. We have had a choice. We have made our choice. We have chosen our master. Now, one or two of us here, I'm thinking particularly of my friend uh, Rob Giroux, are, are aware of the testimony of Bob Dylan. Now, Bob Dylan, or otherwise Robert Zimmerman, a Jewish boy who grew up in Hibbing, Minnesota, in the sticks, essentially, in northern Minnesota, very close to our Canadian border, um, is, of course, a famous musician who is known for having, at one point in his life, made a clear declaration of faith in Yeshua the Messiah and issued an album shortly after that. And in that album, he had an, a song which ruffled a lot of feathers. And he said, you've got to serve somebody. Because as a new Jewish believer in Jesus, in Yeshua, he had come to the point where he realized here was all the world could offer him. He had everything at his fingertips, one of the most famous musicians of his time. And yet... He knew that he had to make a decision. Who was he going to serve? Was he going to serve himself? Or was he going to serve someone else? And Bob Dylan at that point made a choice. He made a choice that he was going to serve the Lord. It's a choice that we all have before us, and it's really a choice that we put before our friends and family that do not know our Messiah, Yeshua, because we desperately want them to make the right choice. Because it might seem counterintuitive to serve someone else, to find blessing in serving someone else other than oneself. You know, people naturally think, oh, I'm going to do the best by serving myself. Like people say, looking after number one. You can't look after others if you don't look after yourself. It's a partial truth. People are, are very focused on serving themselves. But counterintuitively, to serve God is actually the way to really serve oneself best in the long way, in the long run. And it certainly is the only way to life and to serving and, and experiencing God's blessings. There is a choice that we are given in Romans 6 and verse 17. God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. The believers in Rome had come to the point where they had each individually obeyed the form of doctrine to which they were delivered. They had heard the good news of Yeshua the Messiah. They had realized that this was the truth, something that they could invest their lives in. And they had realized that they wanted to give their lives to God. And they wanted to obey their Messiah, Yeshua. And they had obeyed from the heart. They had internally made that decision that would transform their lives. And therefore, as a result, they were set free 
from sin. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the apostle speaks to people who may have had some similarity with those in Rome. 1 Peter chapter 5. You see, the apostle has been reminding the Romans that he knows that they're not perfect. He wouldn't even be addressing this topic. He wouldn't even be raising this question if he thought they were perfect. He says, what shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin? He knows that there are some among them who are failing to walk the walk that they have committed themselves to. So he has told them, reckon yourselves slaves to righteousness. And he says, I know that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. He knows their heart. He also knows their failings. And so in 1 Peter 5, verses 7 following, Peter also addresses a similar situation. There he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, that the same sufferings, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. He starts in uh, verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There is one who is wandering around, who is telling us that maybe God doesn't quite care for us, who's trying to cast doubt on our faith. And so the apostle encourages us to remain steadfast in our faith. There is one who is seeking to turn us away from the way of righteousness by saying, you're not good enough. You're not doing this well enough. How could you really be on the path of righteousness? And Rav Shaul doesn't want us to have this form of self-doubt that is self-destructive and only serves the enemy's purposes. He wants us to remember. We are to reckon ourselves indeed dead to sin. We have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which we have been delivered. Very interestingly, the form of doctrine is the Didache. Um, The Didache was an early book that I've mentioned before that early believers shared among themselves. A book of discipleship instructions that encapsulated much of the teaching of the early believers as to how they ought to live. And these early believers have accepted the teaching, not necessarily of the book, the Didache, but the actual teaching of the apostles that they have heard. They have learned, and they have committed their lives to it. There is a very similar um, admonition in Pirkei Avot. Pirkei Avot is a tractate in the Mishnah. 
that is very well known among our people. And there it is written that the tablets, the two tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain, are the works of God. And the writing is the writing of God. Engraved charut upon the tablets. But the writer there says, don't read charut, engraved, but rather read charut. In other words, he's out, out of a, a little play on words. They're making a lesson out of this. The writing of God has been charut, written on the tablet, tablets. But instead of thinking, it of, thinking of it as, as engraved, think of it as charut, which means freedom. The law of God is freedom, for man is never more free than when he occupies himself with the study of the Torah. We might say one is never more free than when he occupies himself with living for God and living by God's word. That is true freedom. And so Rav Shaul says in verse 18, You have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves of righteousness. And he says to the Romans, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And it's an encouragement. Rav Shaul could have spent chapter 6 telling them what terrible people you are. I know that there are some among you that think that you can do whatever you want. What a horrible mess you are. But instead he turns to them and says, as we are reminded in, in, in the book of Hebrews, set your eyes on Messiah. Remember what you have committed yourselves to. Commit yourselves to righteousness. He encourages them. He exhorts them in the same type of encouragement and exhortation that we need today. To follow God. We know that we have committed ourselves to him. And when we fall, when we slip, pick ourselves up and keep on that commitment. We will inevitably fail. It's part of our humanity. God knows that. He has forgiven us and he has given us righteousness. And he has made us slaves to righteousness. And we will never be so free as when we are slaves of righteousness. For holiness. And this is where Rav Shaul really speaks about the freedom that God has given us. In verse 20, we are told, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness was no commitment of yours. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Sin does not really reward. 
Yes, you can find the few people in this world who seem to have beaten the odds and they've become wealthy and they've lived promiscuously and they've done whatever they want to do in life and seem to get away with it. But we know, we see the picture. You only have to drive through East Van and go down to Hastings Street and places like that and you can see the many damaged and tarnished lives that are visible on the streets. Vast numbers of people who have been impacted terribly by sin, whether by the sins inflicted upon them by others that have affected them in one way or another through their upbringings and through deeds done against them, to their own sins that are chaining them and destroying them. We can see what is happening in people's lives. We can see where sin leads. Rav Shaul says, there is no fruit in sin. It doesn't bring forth good fruit. In fact, it brings forth death. Just talking to my son on the way up about tobacco, you know, and and how almost everyone who smokes for any significant length of time ends up in some way affected by tobacco affected by tobacco in their lives and in their later years it affects it brings in many cases death it certainly brings bad health effects even right from the beginning and that's just one of what we would call today one of the minor sins that one could commit um, it damages It hurts. What fruit did you have then in these things of which you are now ashamed? We know that sin leads to death. But instead, there is a tremendous fruit of righteousness. And the thing with fruit is it's not instantaneous. You don't see it immediately. Um, You don't do a good deed and then immediately turn out to be a more sanctified and beautiful and and fantastic person because you did a good deed. It doesn't just happen. But over time, fruit comes out. We have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We, We have the fruit of holiness. Over time, we are transformed and changed. We have fruit that results not in death, but in everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord. We have a gift. It's not our wages. It is a gift of God. And what a wonderful gift it is that we have eternal life. And we can rejoice in him. At the time that Bob Dylan wrote this song, you gotta serve somebody. He was clearly aware of being born again. And the song went, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to serve somebody. Like I said, this ruffled some feathers 
notably John Lennon of the Beatles, the same guy who wrote, imagine there's no churches, no steeples, and no religion, etc., etc. John Lennon was very upset by this so-called embarrassing song and wrote another song called Serve Yourself. Sadly, John Lennon ended up dying at the hands of someone who had turned away clearly from God. Someone who clearly was not following righteousness when he shot John Lennon on the street outside his apartment when he went out to go for a jog. Terrible, terrible, sad event that um, was maybe the consequence of the direction in which John Lennon's life was headed. You can serve yourself or you can serve the Lord. Serving yourself will end up in death. But serving the Lord will end up in life and life everlasting. Amen.